I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. To explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Others lock up your sons. The fangirls are busting out all over. It's Fangirl Radio. Fangirl Radio. the fangirls on jackalope radio hey everybody and welcome to this latest and greatest episode of the fangirl radio show i'm your host jessica dwyer and with me tonight are three very lovely and talented ladies my cohorts in crime uh rachel moore good evening and ren willocks and uh ren willocks hello and also our lovely and talented producer amanda hi so tonight's episode is going to be a very special, very sonity, very romantic and tragic and comedic episode, as if all of them aren't. Um, and this one, we are going to be talking about Shakespeare. And uh, I'm really excited about this episode because the Bard has touched many, many lives and many, many things that we all love and adore. And uh, you may not realize just how much influence Shakespeare's had upon pretty much every form of entertainment we've got. Before we get into that and our special guest, Mike Neal, who um, you may remember from previous uh, episodes where we talked about his wonderful and awesome movie, uh, Drive-In Horror Show, uh, we want to talk about The Week in Geek, and we've got quite a bit to talk about in regards to that. But first, before we get to the great stuff, uh, Amanda and I have to talk about the not-so-great stuff, which is True Blood. Dun-dun-dun. Yeah, pretty much. Um, the show plods along into its inevitable grave uh, once again with this last Sunday's episode, which I'm sorry if you haven't seen it by this point. You're luckier than I am because I have. Um, but, oh, God, I, I just I don't care anymore. And that's the problem. I honestly could give a rat's ass about any of these characters. I don't care how how uh, well they're trying to make Lafayette into to being his sudden supernatural abilities. Te- you know, I just, I just don't care. I mean, what really happened in that episode, Amanda? I don't know. The only reason that I watch it now is because we get really cool sayings like worthless is tits on Jesus. And when that chick called him Rambo, oh, don't be literal <laughs> Rambo. <laughs> I just I watch it because every once in a while I get a little giggle out of it and it's really cute. But as for like the the storylines and stuff, I'm just I'm not into it. Well, and the only thing that even remotely entertained me this episode was Lafayette. But I mean that's a given. If if I don't get at least one smile out of myself from Lafayette, I you know, I give up. And really, it was a struggle there. He was just chewing scenery like crazy in this episode, and I. I 
the whole the fact that I really could care about the vampire politics storyline is telling because that was what I the only thing that kept me watching before was the vampire parts. But now because of Eric and, and just Pam and Eric, but I could just I don't care anymore. I mean ter- Tara has ruined the whole Pam story because she's so effing annoying and whiny and I could care and they've got her trussed up like a hooker I I just don't care the I mean that's really what it comes down to anymore with this show it's it's like oh well I've got true blood on DVR I might as well watch it just so I can you know say I did I I I really don't care about watching it anymore this is why I'm hopeful, so hopeful for the Jonathan Rice Myers uh, Dracula ten part thing that's coming out soon, because I know people behind that will actually keep it entertaining, and it's got actors that will care, because it feels like to me Scarsgard's probably given up at this point. He's just phoning in any performance he's got. He just makes his eyes really big and stares at people now. Yeah, he's like one of those little. Um those little dolls, you know, those creepy dolls with the big, they're really pale and they got the big white eye. Oh, I'll have to show you this picture I've got of this doll. It's like a little, <laughs> it reminds me of him. Did you notice that the value of True Blood really went down when they quit showing his ass? I mean, even though I, I was complaining about that one season, well, that was the only thing they did show because at least it did. You but, notice that in the last episode, we got to see a wiener, I guess. Of some weird oh, yeah, but it was some poor bastard laying on a table that's getting really, eaten. I don't really want to see man wiener anyway. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's if it's covered, it's okay. But, like, just out and flopping, it's like, really? I really don't want to see that. Because it's not really all that great. I mean, I don't know. I better be quiet now. Yeah. The only thing that came out of this last episode that was worth anything to me at all was the fact that we finally got to see Robert Patrick show up as a werewolf, and he was awesome as Alcide's dad. But I know for a fact we're probably only going to get him for a couple more episodes, and he's, and they'll probably end up killing him off, because that's what they do with interesting characters on that show. They kill them. Mm-hmm. I told and, you you were going to be mad. Remember the last time I did your show? I was like, you're going to be mad. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, I couldn't <laughs> believe they already got rid of him that quickly. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Yeah. yeah, so so yeah, um True Blood, you have just really gone to the point that I am am given up on you and I don't care anymore. And I'm sad to hear that we have another season of you because really there's not much left for you to do. And I uh yeah, so um, with that, let's get on to better things and, and the Week in Geek. And um, one I definitely wanted to bring up was the fact that we we got um, announced actually today, so um, this would be on Wednesday, uh, is the fact that Joss Whedon has signed on to write and direct the sequel to The Avengers. Woohoo! <laughs> yes, everybody should shout with glee at this point. Um, so yes, I am very pleased about this. I was very worried that that might not actually happen. So, uh, yes, yay. We got the man that's responsible for making the movie. Um, I'd say about at least 50%, if not 60% of the reason it was awesome was due to the script. And then, um, I think it was 50, 50. Uh, but yeah, I am very ecstatically happy about this. Um, 
they were smart to bring him back and uh he can still walk into the Fox Studios and drop that first season of Firefly DVD set on a table, flip them off, and leave, in my opinion. I, I think he should really do that. But, um, yes, so that was one bit of comic book news that um, was awesome to hear this year, or this week. And then the other was that um, Marvel is getting back from, I believe Fox Studios own the rights to them and now they're going to be able to use them. Um, Marvel will is the Silver Surfer and Galactus. Yes! And, uh, yeah, they got to leave the the, uh, the poop pile of Daredevil on the step of Fox, which <laughs> I find, well, you know, here's the thing. If they give it to somebody that can really do something great with it, I, and I'm trying to think of a, of a good director and team that could pull off Daredevil, uh, Gamma Squad brought up a good point when, when they posted about this, which was Joe Carnahan could do an awesome version of Daredevil. He's the guy that did the A-Team, and I think that they're right about that. He could do an amazing job with that character, but Fox isn't the best when it comes to knowing what to do with good directors. Josh Whedon. Um, so, I I don't know. I, I, I'm curious... Uh, Listeners who you think would make a great director for a Daredevil reboot. Because God knows if a character needed one, it's that one. Daredevil's a great character. And, and the whole, all the supporting characters in that book are fantastic, too. The, I think the, it, it, that movie fell prey to the fact that it came on so early in the pile. And people didn't really know what a comic book movie was going to look like. And it tried to walk that line between reality and fantasy, and it somehow straddled the knife and got its balls cut off. It was so bad. That <laughs> oh, that's a good visual. You gotta either walk that knife in the middle or pick a side. Don't do both because it was so bad. But um, Daredevil's well, got and it wasn't Daredevil's all got legs. He's fantastic. Yeah, and and the thing is, it wasn't all. It wasn't Ben Affleck's fault. I thought Affleck did all right with that character. But the problem was it just, like you said, it didn't know what it wanted to do with itself. Mm-hmm. I mean, you had um, Colin Farrell come in as a as a great bad guy. I thought he did all right and with with uh, Bullseye, but they he was he was too much for the movie, you know. Mm-hmm. He was he was going that Jack Nicholson Joker route with over the top villain and uh Affleck was kind of going more realistic hero. And it, the two didn't meet very well at all because it was trying. It was that was the great, the the perfect representation of what you just said of of the film is you got a very cartoony, very comic book like villain and a very trying to be realistic superhero, and it just doesn't mesh. Um, and uh, I I think that the director's cut version I actually own um, that, and it's it's a little bit better than what we got, but then they followed it up with that. Horrible Electra movie. That uh, <laughs> yeah. This is the hallmark of a truly bad movie. Like as bad as it was, the one of the things can people complain about more than even how shit the plot. Excuse my language. Crap. The plot was was the fact that her costume looked nothing like the actual Electra. Like that was oh, the you, thing people Rin, had just... trouble with. Yeah. Well, I mean, everything else was horrible, but but that you know when you can't even get the costume right. You really got trouble. It wasn't the problem, but if you can't even get the costume right, then you know you've got problems in your film. 
Well, and I think the whole like plot of Electra made no sense. It was, yeah, it was a no. lot like Catwoman. I think they came out pretty close together, too. No, it just, it's just, it's laughably bad. Um, every single thing they could screw up, they did screw up. And it's it's that kind of a film. Yeah, and it was funny. I, I have, I'm not that into the Electra comics. I, I, I couldn't tell you if for a fact that those villains were in the Electra comic books. But they were horrible. They were. they were they were sucky, sucky villains. I couldn't care. Oh, yeah. It was not okay. I, I really didn't like it. Um, so, but anyway, that being said, we do get uh, Galactus and Silver, Silver Surfer are coming back home to Marvel. And that means there's, uh, I, I'm putting my vote in now. I want Doug Jones back as the Silver Surfer. Yes! Um, Agreed. If, if we, yes, I, I truly believe that Doug Jones needs to be the Silver Surfer again. Only he can make those moves look that cool. Yep. Uh, and and, and it, it makes has me always been Galactus has always been one of my favorite villains ever. I would love to see him done right. Yeah, I know. Not some big, you know, gelatinous cloud in the sky. I want it to oh. be Galactus. You know. Yes. And, uh, I, I want it to look like that. And the cool thing is, I would love this to somehow, and this is just me, I know, I know, this is a dream. I would love for them to do a Marvel Zombies movie, because now if they got Galactus back, they can do the Marvel Zombie first series ending where they eat him. Yep. And all turn into badass, galactified zombie creatures. That was so messed up. That was so weird. <laughs> I loved it. I thought it was great. <laughs> it was good. So uh, this week, the other thing that happened that is the biggest deal, I would say, uh, in a while for geeks and science geeks everywhere. Galactus is the fact ate Mars. Galactus didn't eat Mars. Oh, darn it. Okay. No, we had a the Curiosity Mars without a hitch, which was awesome. And then plus we found out that NASA is the home to some of the best hairdos in the world. Yes. <laughs> but um, yes, the Mars rover landing of Curiosity was one of the greatest events I think I've witnessed. I, I've never seen social networking bond so many people at once and, um, and uh, a hairdo just make such a big deal thanks to uh <laughs> thanks to hot as he became known hot nasa guy and uh, hot mo hot guy and then hashtag i call i i create i coined the hashtag rockabilly nasa uh it was uh it was great and i cannot believe that you know it without a hitch and within two minutes we had photos as crazy as that thing was, like, anybody, I hope that nobody is under a rock and hasn't seen the stages of that landing. But in case you were, in brief, pretty much, it came down in a capsule with a heat shield. The heat shield flew off. It had to immediately take um, photographs of the ground, radar of the ground, to find a place to land. If it couldn't do that in a matter of seconds, the whole thing was screwed. So it had to immediately take radar, then a parachute... Then it loses the parachute, and it's got rockets that shoot at the ground to slow it down even further. Then it lowers itself by crane the last 15 or so meters to the surface, disconnects the rocket, you know, platformy thing. The platform flies off sideways so it doesn't land on the rover. That is the craziest, stupidest thing I have ever heard, and it was perfect. It, yeah, I, the, the crazy crane part was what... 
blew my mind. Uh, I was. Uh, it was ridiculous that this all and it went off perfectly. It couldn't have went off any better. Perfectly. And I and and the moment that that all happened, and you saw these guys in, in Mission Control just hugging and crying because it's like ten years of their lives. It just went perfect and. I and I love the fact I had no idea DirecTV had a NASA channel, but they did. <laughs> so I'm watching this live and I have my, my iPad out and I'm I'm watching my Twitter feed just go insane and we're all like bonding to getting this together and and uh it was so awesome. It was amazing and such a great experience to 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 share with all my friends on Twitter of all things. It just you know, and then of course, you know, Chris Hardwick tweets the actual uh twitter handle for the guy that um that had the great mohawk fauxhawk hair and from in the span of 14 hours he went from 880 followers to 14,400 people (laughs) awesome (laughs) that's fantastic I wish I'd been online I watched it live on my xbox the xbox 360 actually had uh a feed from NASA's channel. So it was the same thing everybody else was watching, but I had it on my, on my Xbox. It was magnificent. I felt like I was, you know, in the sixties when they watched the moon landing and maybe you could say this wasn't quite as, as um, historic, but still you're watching it moment by moment. And you're watching these guys in blue t-shirts staring at computer screens and making announcements in headsets. And it was tense. And you're like, that's the, that's the parachute stage, and it worked. And you're like, oh, that's the rocket stage, and it worked. And it was exhilarating. It was so much fun to watch. Yeah, I, I absolutely loved it. I, ha- I don't think I'd ever watched one of these things to, uh, myself. And I was, I was floored. I was totally uh, impressed by how they, they showed the video of what was going to happen. And my husband was watching with me, and he was like, yeah, you have to see how ridiculous this thing is, that what it has to go through to happen. <laughs> And I watched it, and I looked at him with my mouth gaping up, like, there's no, there's no freaking way this is going to work. It was the stupidest thing I've ever seen. I mean, at, at, at one hand, yes, it's the stupidest thing you've ever seen. But on the other hand, there was very solid reasons why it had to be that way at every stage. The way they described it is Mars has a really thin atmosphere. It, it's, it exists and it's, it's, it's strong enough to burn up something that you try and land on it. So you have to make room, you have to adjust for the fact that it's there, but it's not thick enough to slow anything down. So you've got two things that are you're, you're trying to fight against. A, you're going to burn up anything that, try, that you try to send through it. And B, you have to slow whatever it is that you've got way, way, way down yourself because the atmosphere is not going to do it. So that was the reason for the crazy parachute. The what was like 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 a three G parachute or four G? I don't know something ridiculous. Yeah. And it then was nuts. Yeah, and the and then the the rocket stage, the platform rocket was because I mean they're lowering an SUV to the ground <laughs> <laughs> via rockets. <laughs> it's mental. I love that it works though. I love that it worked. Well, I mean, they had like the biggest brains in the in in the country working on this thing at NASA, and 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 they they pulled it off. And I'm, I had to I have to admit my favorite. It wasn't I, I wasn't as enamored as Fohat guy as I was. I, he's always going to be called this. I'm always forever Space Madsen, the guy that looks like Michael Madsen. I think his name was Alex something, and he was the one of the um, main guys. But he had this great hair. He looked like a, a meshing of of Michael Madsen and and a Baldwin brother and uh he was one of the main guys on <laughs> oh, screen and it wasn't 
Yeah, the Pompadour guy. The and Pompadour it w- guy. It was Pompadour guy, but I call him Space Madsen. And, yes. and what's so funny, it wasn't just me, James Urbaniak. And and some people on his his side were saying the same exact thing. They were calling Mr. Blonde from NASA. <laughs> so <laughs> Exactly. I he thought it was exactly great. Like oh, he does. I was like, he needs to be dancing and cutting people's ears off or something in there. <laughs> I mean, come on. So I was I was loving it. And and then there was like the space wizard. There was that one guy with the long hair and the beard. Like um yes. Dumbledore, there was Dumbledore, the uh, last Mohican, and Mr. Blonde sent something to Mars, and and that's how I'm always going to remember that night. <laughs> Spectacular. And so, I mean, on a historic note, what this does for NASA is massive. If this had failed, that might have been one more magnificently huge setback for the entire space program in this country. You know, the first being retiring the shuttles. So the fact that this worked, the fact that all of that time and research and money paid off to land this incredible piece of equipment on the planet Mars means that it's done what it needed to do, not only to be a successful mission, but to inspire all the people watching the damn thing, to pay attention to space again. Well, not just that. I I wanted to help get, you know, I I was half joking when I said that, you know, they need to do a Kickstarter for NASA. Because they idea. did this. I mean, I don't know that we could. Yeah. How would how uh, Kickstarter know, raise the, several billion dollars, though? Uh, Amanda Palmer pulled off like a two and a half million or something. So I think that NASA could probably do at that least that. Probably much. wouldn't pay for one tire on that stupid rover six But here's the face. thing that's sad <laughs> about it is that NASA did all of that with just a tenth of the budget of. If if not less, of true. what we put into defense mm-hmm. and that kind of thing and our armed forces. Yeah. No, that's, that's 100% true. If you compare the percentages of the budget, budget that gets devoted to other things compared to NASA or even science research in general, it's yeah. quite, a, quite abysmally small. Yeah, it's not fair, and it's when we can do amazing things like this with the little bit of money, and comparatively, the little bit of money that they are given in a budget, think of what they could do with twice that much or three times that much. Well, the truth is we could send a person to Mars. We know how to do it. Yeah, we could. And I know there's people lining up that would be willing to take that shot to be that. I'd do it. I want to go to Mars. Yeah, I love that the once somebody said it was a great it was a great quote that was making the rounds on Twitter after this happened and that was um the ro- we just saw a picture of the spot where your grandchild your great grandchild's house is going to be on Mars. Oh, I love that quote. I and it's it's a great it's a great quote and it's true to an extent if if we really as a as a country and as a people come together over something like this like we did that night watching it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could do amazing things, and we could have somebody on Mars in probably less than ten years. Yeah, if we if we paid if we wanted to pay for it, we could certainly do it. I lo- I've been thinking about that too. The fact that we've landed now four rovers on the planet and a couple of other probes and stuff. I love the idea that in the far future, when we actually have some civilization on there, you're going to be able to walk around a mall or whatever public park, and you'll come across. The Spirit Rover, or, or the Opportunity Rover, and you'll come across the place where it finally died, like Spirit finally stopped rolling, it's done. 
and and it'll still be there and we'll we'll monumentalize it that'll and and it won't move i know that we're going to leave it exactly where we found it and we'll build around it and we'll say this is the thing that we launched onto mars before people ever got here and generations yeah, that would come awesome. walk up to it and go look how stupid that thing looks i've got one of those in my garage <laughs> I ride around on it now because I'm exactly. old, but I'm here. <laughs> it folds my laundry that's, for me. That's be awesome. No, it's it's true. It's we're gonna get there. When we get there is entirely up to whether we decide to devote the money to it. There was a really funny tweet that I couldn't help but retweet that made me giggle. Uh, this person tweeted: "Putting a robot on Mars, two point five billion TSA budget for 2012." Seven point eight five billion, and the robot works. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> Not on that, topic, but it made me giggle. It's too true. So, with that, I think it's time to bring on our special guest for the night because we're going to talk about Shakespeare. So we're going from the future back into the very past, past. Um, so, everybody, I want you to um, welcome Mike Neal. In days long ago, people would come to the drive-in to experience highs and lows, to laugh, or cry, or scream. Those days have passed us by, and all the drive-ins have long since closed their doors. Those great movies have been forgotten. But some films won't stay dead. <laughs> we have a hair-raising lineup of films for you tonight. Do you like blood and gore? Perhaps you're into cutting, slashing. Maybe monsters and evil children get you going. Whatever your ghoulish pleasure, we have a film for you here at the horror show. So, buy a ticket. Tickets. Tickets. Get something to eat. And join us at the drive-in horror show. Mike is a writer, director, maker of films, producer, you name it. He's pretty much done it uh, independently. He's a horror guy, and he um, is the uh, writer and director, and uh, you, you produced it, too, of Drive-In Horror Show, as well as Infinite Santa, um, which is an online animated, um, basically mutant, crazy Santa Claus taking on all comers in a post-apocalyptic world. Yeah, is that about pretty much. 
that, does that back up <laughs> yeah yeah feet planted, planted firmly in horror animation sci-fi action um all sorts of fun stuff we're doing an infinite santa movie at the moment so that's been taking up most of my time um yes, animating which- various monsters and motorcycles and stuff like that it's fun it's really fun it's ridiculous but it's fun <laughs> <laughs> with the killer, with the giant killer Easter bunny that I sort of planted the seed in your brain for. <laughs> you definitely planted the seed in our brain for, and um, it, yeah, we have a hundred foot Easter bunny that's Santa battles. Um, we're actually just about to start animating him, as a matter of fact, and he looks pretty awesome. So I'm pretty excited. Yay! So um, Mike's on tonight because we want to talk Shakespeare, and um, the fangirls have a special place in their heart for the Bard. Not only because, you know, all the wonderful works that Shakespeare wrote and created and how it keeps us, keeps on keeping on, giving us new forms of those stories and being the archetype for so many stories that came after, but also it gave us the hollow crown with Tom Hiddleston as Prince Hal, which, you know, yeah, that happened. So, anyway. I'm kind of embarrassed now. Like, we have, we have like an actual respectable uh fantastic guest and i can't really squee about tom hiddleston now i feel kind of embarrassed (laughs) oh no go ahead i think that's awesome (laughs) mike mike has listened to many of our shows and he knows what goes on on them so don't be embarrassed he's already knows what you've done ren (laughs) oh no (laughs) oops um yeah it might come out this the little bit of uh, Hiddle's appreciation might leak out, but I'll try and keep it under control. <laughs> no worries. No, no, he's he's totally used to it. Um, so, anyways, the <laughs> Shakespeare, uh, the, the adaptations that have have been created from his works are just so numerous, and I I thought it would be a good idea to like pick a couple. Each of us pick two of the ones that we absolutely adore and um, give the reasons why we, we love those adaptations. So, um, Mike, why don't you go first? Pick two of your favorites. All right, cool. Well, I think probably my first is, um, well, it's hard to tell. Orson Welles did some great ones. Um, mm. He did a great version of Othello that he had to film with his own money for three years um, because he kept on getting his funding cut and he really wanted to tell the story. Um, it's done as a film noir. It came out in 52, I think, and um, it won the Palme d'Or at Sundance, I'm pretty sure. But it's just amazing. He actually plays Othello, which is a little weird because he's in kind of blackface, which is a little creepy. But um, <laughs> but the play is it's really well done and he really understands the drama. And, um, you know, I think like a lot of good Shakespeare adaptations – he doesn't get hung up on the language, you know, even if you don't catch every single word, you still get it, you know, which I think is really important. Um, and um, the other is Throne of Blood, which is a Kurosawa adaptation of Macbeth from the 50s, I believe. I don't, don't have the date right in front of me, but um, it starred um, Toshiro Mifune, who um, starred in, his, in a lot of his movies. He was in Seven Samurai and a bunch of others. Um, and it's a pretty straight telling of Macbeth, except that um, Lady Macbeth's madness is shown with the um, tradition of no like NOH drama in um, Japan, which is really slow moving and very methodical. And you know the rest of the film is pretty realistic, so it's an odd um, kind of contrast. And the whole part about you know the forest coming to life is just amazing. Like the whole the whole movie is incredible, but the last the last bits with the forest coming to life and Macbeth meeting his you know his and is just insane. Like, Kurosawa would like to kind of physically torture um, 
Mifune kind of like um, you know Sam Raimi and Ted Raimi. You know, um, so <laughs> it uh, it it's amazing. If you haven't seen it, it's one of my favorite one of my favorite films. Actually, I haven't seen it in a while, but um, it's you'll know what I mean when you when you see the end of the movie. It's insane. So pretty right intense. Uh, it looks like it. Oh, it looks like it was released in 1957. Oh, nice. So I, my memory is pretty decent then. I haven't seen it. Yeah, in good years, job. So. <laughs> Not bad. Not bad. I, wrote, I, wrote, I had to write those both down. They sound magnificent. I admit I've never heard of either. I'm, I'm new to Shakespeare, but I'm going to find those. Those sound spectacular. Yeah, you should check them out. Like I said, anything that can get you past the thick language um, is, to me, very successful. And they're great. I think you really enjoy them. So, Rachel, um, what are two of your favorite adaptations? Well, it's really like choosing your favorite child. I don't know that that's going to happen. But I think when I first um, started to get interested in Shakespeare, I was 10 or 11. And my dad went and got um, Franco Zeffirelli's Romeo and Juliet. And, uh, of course, Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor's Taming of the Shrew. And so that was my very first introduction to Shakespeare. And it really didn't take until Kenneth Branagh later on, but uh, I still have a really soft spot for that super, um, because people forget how Franco Zeffirelli's version was really, um, really uh, radical in its time because nobody was making sure on the big screen and nobody was doing anything um, like making it more visceral. So the nudity in it, everything about it, was really radical. Um, I think it's gotten overshadowed since. Uh, and then my second, my second one would probably um, with Richard Burton and uh, and Elizabeth Taylor is just their interplay and the director basically letting them run riot over that script because when you look at it, I mean, it's really well um, costumed. It's really pretty. It's really traditional. You know, there's a, not a lot that it. You know, it, it doesn't capture you. If you took them out of it, it wouldn't capture you any more than any other adaptation. But watching the two of them run riot over the lines and the backstory between those two actors make it. And so they're not my, they're not watch over and over and over again. But I think that if you're starting to watch Shakespeare, you could do a lot worse. So. So, Rachel, as I, I was saying, it's it's interesting that you bring up Taming of the Shrew because that has inspired some, I think, of the of the, the that specific story is just kept going and going and inspired some of the best adaptations um, and some of the oddest, like the Moonlighting episode that uh, everyone knows or has seen at least once in their life if they were from the 80s, right. uh, called Atomic Shakespeare. Well, and I think it's it's so great because... The male and the female leads get such equal um, stage time, which isn't true in all of the plays. Even though some of the female leads are really strong, they don't. There's almost no other female um, Shakespearean lead that has that many lines. And well, and it was a great balance for Burton and, and Taylor because they were both such big presence of of you know theatrically that. I, that movie is just amazing to watch the two of them just go at it. And it's so updatable. I mean, aside from 10 Things I Hate About You, which is, I think, what people think of right away, the one I think of is the Shakespeare Retold with Rufus Sewell playing oh. Petruchio. That's just, it's a great update of that 
play. I mean, all those Shakespeare retolds are, are great. Well, and I love the fact they made him like this just insane cross-dressing psychopath and they both play so well against one another. I, I really, really enjoyed it. And um, Shakespeare Retold, for those that have not heard of it, was a uh, four-part miniseries that uh, that was done on the BBC. And I think they did another or they were talking about doing another um, group of them. But uh, they're amazing two-hour uh, two episodes, sort of like how they do uh, Sherlock. Uh, they did Much Ado About Nothing, uh, Tame Me of the Shrew, Macbeth, which was amazing with James McAvoy and Richard Armitage. And uh, the fourth one, I believe, was uh, Midsummer's Night's Dream. And uh, they're really great. You can get them via Netflix, um, not streaming, but you can get the DVDs or via uh, Blockbuster Online if you're so cursed to have to use them. But, but uh, it, it's <laughs> sorry, I have a problem with that company. Uh, so those um, adaptations are brilliant and uh, they're a lot of fun. And the, the great thing about those, if you have a problem with, you know, the story of Shakespeare. Shakespeare stories, but you have a problem grasping the language when it's going full blast and and um, in its uh, original form. These aren't that way. They're done as modern tellings using that core story with a little. Every so often, you'll get an instance of the of the verbiage, but it's a really fun and great uh, take on the stories. So, Ren. What um, you're new to Shakespeare, but what two can you pick that you uh, have uh, found that you love the best? Well, I do have two because um, it's sort of it's it was like a little a switch that had to flick for me, and since the switch has been flicked, I've been happily devouring what I can what I can find. Um, the the root of it, though, way back in the day. Um, I'm slightly younger than you guys. I was born in 83, so I still was watching cartoons in the 90s uh, as a kid. And <laughs> one of them that I <laughs> love, that anybody else born in 83 will probably remember, it was Gargoyles, was a magnificent mm-hmm. TV show. The first reason I started watching it was because uh, so many of the characters were voiced by actors from Star Trek The Next Generation, which, of course, I, like a total nerd, was raised watching, so I recognized <laughs> all their voices. But then, uh, you know, in, in, in further seasons, they started to do this whole uh, Camelot arc that mixed, that totally merged with A Midsummer Night's Dream, and then they also brought in Macbeth, and it was so cool to see these these uh, stories, which you could tell immediately if you were paying any attention, were really good. Like, every, you know, anybody could figure out that they weren't original, that they were coming from somewhere and they were good. So I kind of had that impression that I, I was drawn to Macbeth and was drawn to Midsummer Night's Dream from that early on in childhood. And it kind of fell away from me, though, when I, when I was later in my teens and later early in my 20s. Um, and I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was the language that blocked me out or what. But um, what it is, I kind of have to, lately for me, I won't, say I, I won't say I'm watching absolutely everything I can get my hands on. For me, there is still one thing I need. And that is, I have to have in there in the production that I would watch do anything. Because if I'm not attached to at least one person on screen, then I do find it hard to kind of keep up and pay attention and devote the attention that needs to be devoted in order to dissect 
that language because you really got to pay attention to what they're saying. It makes sense because it is English. It's just kind of in a, in, it's in reverse order sometimes. There's so many plays on words that you got to kind of follow. Um, you got to concentrate. And so for me, if there's an actor in it, who I appreciate watching anyway, it helps me keep up the motivation to pay attention. My two favorites have got to be Hamlet with David Tennant. Um, yes. For one, yes. David Tennant is magnificent. But also because uh, I didn't have to, I didn't even have to concentrate with that one. The way he said, the way he said the lines in in the middle of the rest of his performance everything was understandable every single piece of dialogue went straight in and computed and i wasn't scratching my head going hang on what does he mean by the forsooth and the thou and the, I, none of it it was it was riveting absolutely riveting every single moment and that classic you know that classic speech um you know, to be or not to be, that you've heard a bajillion people do, I've never ever heard it and understood its meaning before I watched David Tennant do that scene. So that was spectacular. My second favorite is, I can't pick one, but I'd probably pick Henry V. Um, <laughs> the recent series, the recent Hollow Crown series, uh, started with Richard II, which was a, you know, a different actor, a different character and a different actor. Um, so I haven't seen it yet, and I am sorry to whoever you are. I'm sure you're magnificent. I've downloaded ben you. Wishaw. I will watch you. I will watch you, and I'm sure you'll be spectacular. But I admittedly watched uh, Henry the Fourth Part One, Henry the Fourth Part Two, and Henry the Fifth. Um, and I have a feeling that even if it hadn't been Tom Hiddleston, I probably still would have been on the edge of my seat because it was freaking. It was battle and and war and betrayal and treachery and. It was so freaking awesome. <laughs> I, um, you got to find the right adaptation. I know this for certain because, Rachel, we were together the other day and you showed me that clip of Kenneth Branagh's uh, St. Crispin's Day speech. And it hit my ears all wrong. And, and there's a lot of people well, for whom... But, but it's just, you got to find I think the right one. There really is a balance between finding the right one for you when you're entering it and then experiencing the variety because there's really something to be said for that kind of Kenneth Branagh, Laurence Olivier, we're in the theater thing that they do that can simplify it and open it up for a lot of people. And it's not my favorite, but um, I don't think that I would have as good a grasp on um, Shakespeare's performances without Branagh bringing that in. And and I'll admit to that I'm probably I'm probably growing towards that. Like right now, I still need to have the actor in the production who I want to watch do anything. Um, but the more of Shakespeare I watch, the more I'm enjoying just listening to the magnificent words. I was going to say I think you're right on. I think a lot of times, you know, we learn Shakespeare in school where you read it and it was never meant to be read ever. Um, I liked what you were saying about um, I think it was the David Tennant um, performance. I think. Where yeah. you weren't struggling with it, I um I used to act a lot. Um, I mean, in high school, for what it's worth, um, and a little bit in my you know horror stuff, also for what it's worth. But um, I once heard someone say that a great Shakespeare actor says each line as though they're discovering the line as they're saying it, so they're not dwelling on the language so much that it just comes off like you know a dictionary, you know, which exactly. I, I think is I've always thought it was a great way to describe it because. Um, 
I think a lot of actors do get kind of actorly with it. You know, it's Shakespeare with a capital mm-hmm. S. And, you know, these are these were meant to be fun, you know, entertaining plays for the masses, you know, not this stuff to be put on a pedestal, you know. Well, I, I think it, it is kind of, if you look at some of Shakespeare's works, they are so overtly violent and trashy in a lot of ways that it's it's awesome. And at the same time, you can tell that that's why it was done in theater because at the time, theater was television for these in, in one way or another. It's it's for for the time that these film these these plays were written, and it was supposed to be overt and it was supposed to be trashy in some ways. And you know, and then there was the comedies. So I I, I have to say the two the two things that I, the two I'm going to pick. And there's actually three, but I'm going to pick two because I made you guys pick two. <laughs> was <laughs> it's only fair i have to tell um but um the first one i'm going to definitely say is much ado about nothing with david tennant and um i almost said donna noble Catherine. david tennant and Catherine tate which was the full length uh, version of of the play and it was just awesomely done and it was modernized sort of it was um sort of another kind of world i I like these way these um versions where they adapt them to an almost uh fantasy type of environment where it's a it's not quite reality um now and it's not even quite reality then it's something in between and uh, i really loved that um and they actually kind of made it a musical and it was really really great and it's a very much a comedy, and they played that part of it well, and um, and, and but also the dramatic parts and the serious stuff, they sold it because there's no way of, of a character making you laugh and you enjoy them than to see their heart ripped out of their chest by despair and sorrow within five seconds, and uh, that's what happens in that play, and it's really great to see. And of course, at the end, it was much ado about nothing, <laughs> um, <Yeah>. but. <laughs> But the other one, kind of on the other far end of the spectrum, uh, that I absolutely love, and and if you haven't seen it, it's on DVD, is Titus with Anthony Hopkins, mm-hmm. Alan Cumming, and um, Angus Mc. I think it's um, Angus McFadden as well uh, is in this, and Jess Lang, and it is just this visual acid trip of Shakespeare, basically. Julie Taymor, who um, would go on to do The Tempest as well, directed this film, and um, it's just visually stunning. It's crazy, and it's filled with just... This is where I was going with the trashy, um, overt Shakespeare that you don't really realize until, oh my God, they just ate their own son as a pie, um, and, and that happens in this. <laughs> and, uh, spoiler it, alert. Got, Do you have to spoiler it, alert Shakespeare? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Maybe you do. I didn't say who Sunday. <laughs> oh, there's, but there's cannibalism. There's, uh, there's rape. There's arms being hacked off. There's, there's just seduction and, 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 and just, it's like you know what dynasty and falcon crest and dallas you ain't learned anything until you've done this well, it's got the gorgeous lushness to it as well as my you know it's one of those things where it it really struggled to get the rating it got um 
but you know it's it's the kind of thing I probably normally wouldn't have watched, but it was so lush and gorgeous. It was it was a way of um, bringing that play. Oh yeah, to it was a completely just new plane. Well, yeah, and just he just goes beyond with the visuals, and it's gorgeous to watch this, and it's so surreal and pretty, and I truly can't say enough about it. I really loved it, and it is the full on flowery language of of Shakespeare. So. Uh, if you get a chance, check it out um, for sure. And uh, so, uh, Rin, you have a question for Mike? I do. Um, it's just occurred to me, I'm aware of two films, and being the connoisseur of Shakespeare that, that he apparently is, I'm wondering if he's aware of or has seen uh, either of these two Hindi films. And I wouldn't call them Bollywood because they're not the typical Bollywood-style format with, um, you know, uh, drama song drama song drama song um but they're but they're made in india so, and they're in hindi um this particular filmmaker has been lauded lately in india for making these really quite different types of movies compared to your standard uh, bollywood fare and they're evidently really quite good the first one he made was macbeth which uh the title of the film is actually Macbul. uh and the second one that he made that was even received even better was omkara which is uh, Othello and um, they have huge name stars in them you know big Bollywood stars in them and I'm curious if you've seen either of them no I haven't I think I've heard mention of this guy um, I know very little about Bollywood cinema but I did hear about um, the guy I think you're talking about making films that are kind of pushing the system a little bit but no I don't really know anything about them I, tell me more his well, name's I, uh, Vishal Bahardwaj I was totally Bahardwaj Thank yes. you. There you go. <laughs> nice. Um, Om- Omkara. I would recommend Omkara first. It's uh, the guy playing Iago is one of my favorite Bollywood actors. Um, is uh, Saif Ali Khan, and uh, his performance is staggering. He's one of the few Bollywood actors who's trying to break that mold of the classic Bollywood hero that never does anything wrong and never kisses his heroine. Um, he's doing these different roles, and this is one of them. Evidently, his Iago was very good. Um, I have it in my hand, and I don't have a player that's compatible, so I haven't watched it yet, which is a real travesty. But as soon as I get a, a player that will do this, um, I, I mean to watch it almost immediately. So Omkara is spelled O-M-K-A-R-A, and uh, that came out like three or four years ago. Oh, I will. I will check that out. I mean, one of the things I love about Shakespeare is that, um, you know, when they when they put the plays on, they never wore. They they would wear um, clothes from the times. They wouldn't wear clothes from the period when the play was supposed to be happening. So they wore contemporary clothes anyway, and there weren't any props or sets. So basically, the plays originally were just skeletons. So I think that's one of the reasons that you know the adaptations work so well. I mean, partly also because the, the stories are so timeless. But it's funny, I hear people sometimes say that an adaptation isn't accurate unless it takes place during Shakespeare's time. And that's just total BS. It's like, you know, anything is accurate. I mean, if you look at it that way, his plays weren't accurate when they were performed, you know? So I yeah. think it's so so interesting just, you know, that they're some of the most adaptable, you know, texts anywhere. No, we're running out of time. And it's one of those things like bringing up, you know, Doctor Who, there's way too much, only there's hundreds more years of Shakespeare, but um, I, I just can't urge people enough to seek it out live, even when it's poorly performed live, it brings <laughs> something new to it, and 
Um, our local, I mean, we, we've seen some really horrible versions of Shakespeare in the park around here that have been so much fun. And um, I've seen some really great live theater. I mean, we're really close to a Shakespeare capital here. And also I've seen Shakespeare in Stratford, Ontario. And um, it's just so, it, it's made to be performed live and it's, it brings a, a whole new richness to it. And I, I really want to encourage people to seek out um, local live theater. If you're going to well, venture I, out, sorry, I just had a real quick question. If you're going to venture out and do that, do you think it's advisable that you have at least seen the play you're about to go see them butcher? No, not necessarily. I mean, when you're watching a comedy, usually they'll take on something fairly easy. And especially if it's a comedy, you can't go wrong. Because the more okay. you laugh, especially Shakespeare in the Park where you're sitting there drinking from a flask and, you know, <laughs> giggling. My favorite Shakespeare in the Park memory as we were leaving, um, my husband and I, when we were dating, we went to see some Shakespeare in the Park and it was a high school production and it was actually pretty good. They were doing um, Romeo and Juliet and, as, and they had um, some cross-casting, so a girl was playing... Tybalt, and so as we left, Mercutio and Tybalt were making out in the bushes on the side of the uh. building. <laughs> it was awesome. Wow. Man. But I wanted to bring up one other thing that a lot of people may not be aware of, um, and and that's how I, uh, I actually got to share uh, the wonder that is David Tennant as Benedict um, with, uh, with the fans girls here is this thing called digital theater uh there is a an app it's free to download and you can get it online and it's not going to block you like iplayer will for bbc stuff it's uh just go and look out uh look up digital theater and you can download this and then you can buy actual live recordings of british stage productions and uh one of them that you can get and they're very um very well priced they're only like ten dollars a pop and you get to keep it forever uh, and you can download it to any computer that you download the uh, application to because it's on your account and one of them is much to do about nothing with Catherine tate and david Tennant. they also just added on david morrissey as Macbeth, which is amazing and creepy and great um but if you want to get uh, like what they're doing with this stuff now in England, where this all started, uh, this is a great way to do it instead of having to pay like six hundred dollars for a plane ticket and then God knows how much for a theater uh, <laughs> ticket to fly over there and see this stuff. Like I know people that did that for David Tennant's production of Much Ado, which is insane. But props to you, you did it. Um, but uh, this is a great way to, to experience it. And you can get high-definition versions of them as well. But I really wanted to make sure people knew that that's out there. And, you, and it's a great way to see modern versions of Shakespeare's plays going on right now in the heart of uh, Lennon's theater. That sounds awesome. It, it really is. It's very, very cool. Um, so I think we're about to run out of time, which I sadly knew was going to happen because much like Doctor Who, you can't cover all of Shakespeare in an hour. It just isn't done. So, Mike, I want you to come back for sure um, so we can finish this up and talk more about this stuff because there's lots of good stuff um, we still haven't discussed that uh, has to do with the Bard. And uh, oh. I also wanted to... No, I was going to say thanks. Anytime. I love this. I, I never get to talk to Shakespeare <laughs> than anybody. It's great. <laughs> but we, we, and we love having you on. We, we, don't have an, we, we love having guests on, especially when they, um, they like talking with us and don't mind the squeam so much because it happens. We can't we help it. We didn't even squee. We, did we didn't even squee, squee this time. 
<laughs> Tom Hiddleston wet as a shirtless oh. Prince Hal. <laughs> Let's um, not go there. Let's not go there. That that way like, leads to destruction and him sitting like a whore. Excellent. And us turning and us turning into whores. Yes. Did you just say sitting like a whore? She just said sitting like a whore. Right? But I uh, I wanted to end up with uh, there was a great. Um, Ren had mentioned uh, Star Trek actors because uh, many many of them have done Shakespeare um, specifically. Um, Patrick Stewart, of course, um, who was in that Hamlet with David Tennant. But uh, there was some great um, villains in the world of Star Trek that did um, uh, Mark Alamo, Jeffrey Combs, and Casey Biggs. Um, basically, the two uh, two Cardassians and a Vorta, if you will. And they would do this great routine at um, Star Trek conventions called What Shakespeare Left Behind. And uh, basically, it was a way that they would show, get to, to show their acting chops and uh, also teach people when you are reading things or saying things, you may not realize that uh, you're actually quoting Shakespeare and how much of an influence that his words had um, on the English language and things that we say. So a couple of those would be, if you recall your salad days, you record, you, you're quoting Shakespeare. If you claim to be more sinned against than sinning, you are quoting Shakespeare. If you cannot understand my argument and declare, it's Greek to me, you're quoting Shakespeare. Even if you bid me good riddance cool. and send me packing. Uh, if you say then, by Jove, or tut tut, for goodness sakes, what the dickens. These are all things that came from Shakespeare. So it's pretty amazing if you think about it. So with that, I will bid you adieu. Thank you once again, Mr. Neal, for coming on with us. You're very welcome. And please, uh, any fangirls listening, check out driveinhorrorshow.com and infinitesanta.com for all of your driving horror show and infinite Santa needs, and uh, including a uh, DVD of the driving horror show film and a comic book with an introduction by Jessica Dwyer, which is a fantastic yeah. introduction. So uh, check those Aww, out. Thank you. Of course. Cool. Thank you so much, guys. And uh, once again, check out all the um, check out Shakespeare because you know the guy is uh, still going strong and uh, has never really been out of print and ever. And that's a long time. <laughs> so thank yes. you once again, and we will see you uh, next week on, on Fangirl Radio. <laughs> <laughs>